Ephesians chapter 1. I have come this morning with good news. I have some good news. I've been excited to bring this good news. And this is it. Ephesians 1, look at the end of verse 6. It says, He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. That's some good news in it. The gospel is good news. He hath made us accepted in the beloved. I was reading that and and the Lord blessed it to my heart. And I thought about a newspaper boy hollering, good news, read all about it. He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Why has He done this? Why has He made us accepted in the Beloved? Look at the beginning of verse 6. It says, To the praise of the glory of His grace. That is why He did it. He did it to the praise of the glory of His grace. Thank you, Lord. All praise be unto Thee. All glory be unto Thee. We preach grace. That's what we preach. That's what we believe. We believe grace. Our message is the message of His grace. That's our message. Everything that we believe is His grace. And we don't want it any other way, do we? We don't want it any other way. Every single thing that our God does is to the praise of the glory of His grace. Every single thing He does is to the praise of the glory of His grace. Every single thing that He does is for His glory. That's why He did it. Why did He make us in the first place? It was for His glory. Every single thing He does is for His glory. Believers love it to be so. Verse 12 in Ephesians says that we should be to the praise of His glory. Every bit of this was that we should be to the praise of His glory. Verse 14 says, It's the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. His gospel, the gospel, the true gospel, the truth, the true good news, is the gospel of His glory. The true gospel is the gospel of His glory. That's how you'll know whether the message you hear is the truth or a lie. The true gospel 
is the gospel of his glory. Everything he does is for his glory. Let's turn over to Exodus 33. Exodus chapter 33. And look at verse 18. Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. He asked the Lord, would you show me thy glory? The Lord is about to preach the true gospel to Moses. Moses is about to hear the gospel. Verse 19, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. That's the gospel of his glory. I will do all of this to whom I want to do all of this. He gets all the glory. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at verse... 27, it says, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught. Things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. He's chosen weak things, base things, small things, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Our gospel message is no other glory but his glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. If any man is going to glory, let him glory in the Lord. That is our message. That's what we preach. That's what we believe. Our goal and our aim as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is to ascribe all the glory unto him. That's our whole purpose in life is to give Him all glory in everything we do. Especially in His work of salvation. We ascribe all glory to Him in this work of salvation. Well, in our text, Ephesians 1, 
the Lord, this is His Word, and it's His message, and the Lord has given us an eight-word message of His glory. The end of verse 6 says, He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. The first three words are going to tell us who is the author of salvation. He hath made. That's the theme of this entire book. Our Lord wrote this entire book, and it says the same thing start to finish. The first page and the last page say the same thing. He hath made. Jonah, we know the story of Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, and the Lord put him in a whale's belly. And Jonah said, I've been brought down to the bottom of the mountains, the deepest parts of the ocean. And he said, the weeds have just wrapped up my head. And the Lord finally put him in a place where Jonah is the one who said, Jonah 2 verse 9, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. The Apostle Paul said in Hebrews 12, 2, He is the author and finisher of our faith. He hath made. He hath done all this. John said, Them that believe on His name, if anybody believes on His name, they were born not of blood. They didn't believe because they were born into a family of believers nor of the will of the flesh. They didn't decide they wanted to be a believer, and therefore now they are a believer. Nor of the will of man. Mom and grandmom didn't decide for them that they were going to be a believer, but of God. If a person believes unto salvation, they were born of God. A child of God is born of God. He hath made. Religion believes it's based on something that they do. Something that they decide. Somehow man plays a role in this. But Paul said in Romans 9, It is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy he hath made. That is what the whole word of God says start to finish. Is the truth, the true message, the true gospel, the true testimony, if a person has a testimony, is it what I have done for God or what God has done for me? Both of those, the first one is the more prevalent one. Well, I do know that everything he does is for his glory. Every single thing he does is for his glory. So whichever one gives him more glory is the truth. Whichever one of those two statements gives him more glory, that's the truth. Is it what I have done for God or what God has done for me? Whichever one gives him more glory, that's the truth. I've heard this question asked. Is salvation a cooperation or an operation? Whichever one gives him more glory, that's the truth. 1 Peter chapter 2. 
First Peter chapter two, verse nine says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. He hath made. You were not, but now you are. You're chosen. He hath made. He is the author of salvation. He hath made. All right, the next word in our text is the subject of salvation. In Ephesians 1 verse 6, it says, He hath made us. We are the subject of salvation. Us. Us. Really us? What does the Scripture say about us? Well, we looked at this last time I was here. Let's do it again. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says that we are dead in sin. Us. Honestly, us. Verse 2 says that we walk according to the course of this world. Not according to God. He hath made us. Verse 3 says we're partakers of the world. We all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires. Fulfilling the desires. It says that we're children of wrath. Us. Verse 4 says, but God. He hath made us. Reading all of that, we could never be the author of salvation. Never. If that's true, if God is true, if we're dead in sin and partakers of the world and children of wrath, we can't be the author of salvation. He said, I came not to call the righteous. That's good news. If anybody can honestly say, I am not righteous, well, then I have some good news. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He hath made, he is the author, us. We are the subject. And the next word in our text tells us what is the great blessing of salvation. It says, He hath made us accepted. That's what He has done. That's what we have received. That's our great gift. This word accepted doesn't mean anything to a person who doesn't realize what it truly means to be rejected. Rejected. There are so many reasons for God to reject us. We have given Him so many reasons. I want to look at just three of them. Three of them that are so common in the world. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. 
Hebrews 12, and look at verse 16. Hebrews 12, 16 says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. Esau. Who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. He was going to get it all. And for one morsel of meat, he sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance. My reference says no way to change his mind. It's too late. Though he sought it carefully with tears. He cried over that. He was so sorry for that. It's too late. He just didn't care. He just didn't care. Esau, you get the birthright. I just don't care. Every single thing that this world has to offer, everything, if you could pile everything up, it's worth nothing more than a bowl of sod pottage compared to the things that the Lord has prepared for them that love Him. It's nothing. It's nothing, but people just don't care. They just don't care. And then when that time comes to receive the inheritance, they're going to be rejected. They're going to understand rejection. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel 15. And look at verse 23. Now this is Saul being rejected uh, from being king. First Samuel 23, uh, 15 and verse 23 says... Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words... Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and rent it. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Look at verse 35. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death, 
Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. I don't even know what to say about that. Chapter 16 says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Saul heard the word of the Lord and rejected it. I don't believe it. I will not heed it. I will not follow it. I will not have it. And the Lord said, I rejected him. Rejection. Saul was sorry. He said, please let me turn and come back and worship the Lord. And Samuel said, it's too late. It's just too late. Those are individual cases. Let's look at what the Lord said concerning the Gentiles. The world, that's us. Turn over to Romans 1. Romans 1, look at verse 21. It says, Because that when they knew God, when they knew God, they were worshiping God. They knew God. Religious. They glorified Him not as God. They didn't give Him all the glory. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They made themselves equal to God. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie. They took the Word of God and they changed it into a lie. Is that not religion? They took the Word of God they, they, when they knew God, they changed it. And they took the offense out of it, is what they did. They took the offense out of it. And then what they did when they did that is, they changed it into a lie. It says in verse 25, And worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 28 says, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. He told his disciples concerning the Pharisees, the church people, leave them alone. That's rejection. That is rejection. I have good news. He hath made us Accepted. We're accepted. What does it truly mean to be accepted unto God? 
This was wonderful when I saw it. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. He hath made us accepted. Luke 1, and look at verse 28. It says, And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored. Now, my center reference says that that means graciously accepted. What does it mean to be accepted? It means to be highly favored. Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. He hath made us accepted. He hath made us highly favored. What is the proof of our acceptance? What has he given us to prove this? Over in our text, it says in verse 7, he's given us redemption. We have redemption. That means to buy it again. Buy it again. You're bought with a price, bought unto God, bought from this earth. The price was paid to the dust of the ground. From dust we came, and to dust we have to return. The price was paid. We're not our own now. We belong to Him. We're bought. He's given us redemption. It says in verse 7 that we have forgiveness. He's given us forgiveness. Our sins could not merely be forgiven. That's why He gave us redemption. But now we are forgiven. What's this proof of our acceptance? Verse 9 says He's given us a knowledge of His will. He's made known unto us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He's purposed in Himself. He's revealed it all to us. Manoah said, "The Lord, we've seen God and now He's going to kill us. And his wife said, no. If He was going to kill us, He wouldn't have told us all these things. He'd just kill us. How accepted are we? He's made us sons and daughters. Look at verse 11. In whom we have obtained an inheritance. You have to be a child to get an inheritance. We've been made children. Well, the last three words in this text say, it says, He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. That is the ground of our salvation. He hath made, he's the author, us, we're the subject, accepted. That's our blessing. That's what we get. In the beloved is our ground. It's how it's possible. And this is all our hope. It's all our confidence that he did all of this in the Beloved. Who is the Beloved? He said in Matthew 3.17, This is my Beloved Son. He's the Beloved. 
Our hope and our confidence is in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no ground for salvation in ourselves. Outside of Christ, there's no possible ground for salvation. There's no ground in our righteousness because we don't have any. Our good, our right, you know, the things we do that are good. Everything we do is putrefying source unto God. It's not by our works. It's not by our religion. It's not being religious. It's not in our desire to straighten up and fly right. That has nothing to do with it. It is only in the Beloved. Salvation is only in the Beloved. That's the only place it is. Verse 7 says, Through His blood. Through His blood. Verse 10 says, It's all in Christ. Everything, every bit of this is in Christ. The Gospel is a message of good news. It's a message of good news. This truth about us is nothing but bad news. It's nothing but bad news. We're helpless, we're sinners, we're lost. But that's what makes the good news so good. So I want to remind us, I want to close with three wonderful promises that he's given us all the way through this word. He keeps saying it over and over and over. The first one is, God the Father delights to show mercy. He deli- It makes him happy to show mercy. He delights to show mercy. He said, I will have mercy. Now, he said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. But he said, I will have mercy. If you need it, I will have it. I will have mercy. It says that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Somebody does something that they love to do. People say he lives for that. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. The second thing is God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, died for sinners. He keeps saying this all through the book. Timothy said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, real sinners. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. And the third thing is, God the Spirit is here to call out His sheep. He's here to call out His people. He said, my sheep will hear my voice. They will. As long as this earth is still turning... There is hope for one more sinner. As long as the world is turning, there is hope for one more sinner. That's all good news, isn't it? The gospel is good news. And it's all to the praise of the glory of His grace. All right, may the Lord bless that.